Today, the scripture lesson is from 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 10 through 18. And the title of the sermon is The Run Flat Church. As I begin today, I just want to say thank you for uh, so many of you sharing your stories last week. Uh, last week, I encouraged you saying that your story may be the story that puts a, a new word in, in your mouth and in your life. And that word, when shared with others might lead them to f- others to faith in Jesus. And so many of you have begun to share your stories. And so I want to encourage those of you who haven't done that or are still thinking about whether or not you'd like to do that, to please consider doing that. Uh, we can just meet and have conversation. You can send me a video. You can send me an email. Uh, we'll find a way to share your story that, that makes you uh, least anxious And uh, I trust that God will use those stories to make a difference in the lives of others. So thank you for that. And I forgot this morning as a part of the announcements to share with you the prayer that that I'd like for us to be praying about this year. And that is that we would worship regularly, that we would grow spiritually, that we would serve sacrificially, that we would commit to excellence, growing in our sense of God's purpose and creatively express our faith. And so, thank you all for putting that up. I forgot this morning. So, um, so in 2013, Duke University ordered all of its flags to be lowered to note the passing of one of their professors. His name was James Bonk, B-O-N-K. He was 82 years old when he died, and he had been a chemistry professor at Duke University for 53 years. And the Duke University newspaper suggests that over the course of his tenure, that he had taught over 30,000 students. 30,000 students. He wasn't just known as a professor. He's actually attributed to starting the tennis team at Duke University. But the most notorious thing that James Bont was known for was what has been called the run, the flat tire story. The flat tire story. Now, there's all sorts of variations of the story, you know, over the course of years, things sort of take on the life of their own. And so there were lots of different uh, reiterations of the story. But the one that is most often cited was that uh, Dr. Bonk had four really exceptional chemistry students who had performed wonderfully all semester long. But the weekend before the final exam, these four guys decided that they were going to go to Virginia to a fraternity party. And when they went to Virginia for this fraternity party, they decided to do what some people decide to do at fraternity parties. So that by Monday morning, when they were supposed to be back in at Duke to take their final exam, they were in no condition to take the exam. And they got a great idea. They decided that they would call Dr. Bonk and they would say to him, look, we were in Virginia for a part of the weekend and we were on our way back to Duke to finish up studying for our exam. And and you know what good students we are, Dr. Bonk. Um, We were on our way to study for those exams when we had a flat tire. 
And wouldn't you know, when we opened up the trunk to change the flat tire, there was no spare tire in the trunk. And so we were not able to get back today to take the exam. Would you be willing to give us an opportunity to take the exam upon our return? Well, now, Dr. Bonk was a little skeptical of the story, but these were exceptional chemistry students who had performed wonderfully all semester. And so Dr. Bonk decided that he would give them an opportunity to take the, the final exam at a later date. On the day of the final exam, the four students showed up at Dr. Bonk's office and he said to them, you know, I can't sit with you today for the exam, so in order to alleviate the temptation that you might have to share your answers with one another, I'm just going to put you in four rooms and you'll take the exam and you'll bring it back to my office. So they go to their four rooms, they open up the test booklet, and the first question is worth five points, and they knock it out of the park. It was, it was easy, they were prepared, they did well. They turn the page, the second question says it was worth 95 points. So it was only a two-question test. And, and when they read the question, it said, which tire? It was at that moment that the four students realized that the story they'd concocted, that they hadn't thought about everything that they might need to know in sharing the story. They'd never once decided which tire would it be, where we're going to be asked which tire was flat. And so they all guessed wrong (laughs) and they all failed the exam. Well... Uh, Snopes, you are familiar with that website, they're the ones that uh, try to determine whether the stories that we're hearing are actually true, or they false, or they mostly true, or they partially true. They actually found Dr. Bonk before his death, and they asked him about this story, is it true? And Dr. Bonk responded to Snopes and said, well, uh, it's some urban legend and it's some fact It's been so long ago, I can't say that I can remember uh, every single detail that went into that particular experience. But I like the way the story is taking on a life of its own, and I think I'll just let it uh, ride like it is. And so Snopes lists this story as partially true, that something did happen along these lines, but no one really knows for sure. Now this run flat story uh, won't work for those of you who are still in school for much longer. I'm sorry to tell you that if you are a student and you are in the need of, of uh, coming up with an excuse of why you can't take your final exam, you won't be able to say that, well, my, my tire went flat and I didn't have a spare. Because increasingly, more and more cars don't have spare tires in them anymore. Did you know that? You see, uh, companies are trying, the car manufacturers are trying to figure out a way to save money. And they're trying to figure out a way to make the cars lighter. Because the lighter car would 
improve the gas mileage of the car. And they know that for the consumer, the gas mileage is really important. And so there are com- there's coming a day when there won't even be any spare tires in our cars. Some of them are already happening that way. Instead of a spare tire in your car, and if you don't know, you might want to check, uh, you might just have a repair kit in your trunk. The repair kit is if you get a spare uh, flat tire, you, you, you plug the tire yourself, and there's also a little compressor in there that is considerably lighter than a spare tire would be. And you just, after you've plugged your own tire, you take your compressor and you fill it up and you go on about your way. But there's even a better invention that has come along, and it's called the run flat tire. This is a tire that will still have a flat every now and then. But when you have a flat, these tires are designed so that you can continue to travel for a short distance in the hopes that you would be able to get to a tire shop and have your tire repaired. So these tires, which they think will one day be standard in all all, all all of our automobiles, you could go approximately 50 miles after you've experienced a flat in the hopes that you'd make it to the tire shop to get your tire fixed. Uh, You can only go about 50 miles and you can't go over 50 miles an hour. If you go over 50 miles an hour for very long or if you drive for more than 50 miles for very long, there's a really good chance that your tire will ultimately give out. Now, I think that is a wonderful metaphor for a church that is experiencing uh, internal conflict. It's sort of like having a run-flat tire. If we're bickering back and forth about one thing or another in the life of the church, we'll be able to continue to trot along for a little while. But if we don't get somewhere to a place where we are willing to be repaired, where we are willing to get fixed so that we can get back out on the road, the run-flat church will eventually wear itself out and will eventually give up and will eventually not be able to do what God wants the church to be able to do. I think that's what's happening in our Corinthians text today. Paul is writing to a church that is experiencing some internal conflict. And Paul is trying to communicate to that church that this internal conflict, if it's not corrected, if it's not addressed, will end up destroying the church. And the church won't be what it's supposed to be. Uh, Apparently in our text this morning, there is a church in Corinth and they are arguing over who's the best preacher, who's the best teacher. Some are saying that Jim Clardy is, but what do they know? You know, some are saying that Martha Touchton is, but what do they know? Some are saying that some of these retired pastors that still worship here like Randall Gaines, you know, or Bill Morris, and uh, I mean Bill uh, <laughs> Campbell, uh, that they're that. But what do they know? Others are saying it's Tommy, right? Uh, no, uh, wrong church, I'm sorry. And in the Corinthian church, they are arguing about is, is, is Paul the best preacher? 
Or is it uh, Apollos? Is, is he the best preacher? Or is Cephas or Peter the best preacher? And, and there's no evidence at all that any of those three preachers really wanted or desired that a group of people in that church begin to follow them and revere them as a better preacher than everybody else. In fact, Paul seems somewhat shocked and surprised that this Corinthian church would begin to splinter off into factions, that they would be forming these cliques around one preacher or teacher over another. And so Paul is writing to them and he's saying, this is not good for the church. It's not healthy for the church. I want you all to be in one mind. I want you to be in complete agreement. I want you to be in unity. And you're sitting out there right now thinking, Tommy, that is just not possible. It's not possible anywhere, even in the church. And some of you are saying it's not possible, especially in the church, that this unity can't be achieved and yet if you read Paul he seems to think that it can be Paul seems to think that there is a way for the church to be unified in its voice and in its witness and Paul is encouraging us to be unified at uh, the church at Corinth to be unified and I would suggest to you that he's encouraging us to be unified as well. And what Paul seems to be saying that if you're a part of a church that is quarreling and has jealousy and factions and cliques, then you are paying more attention to human feelings than you are the spirit of the living God. And so Paul is inviting us to to not so worry about our own thoughts and our own feelings, but to instead seek the unity that comes through the Spirit of God. And I think that there are some nuggets here in this text this morning that might help us and our denomination and our church, who's a run-flat church, who is broken but hasn't, uh, doesn't want to be fixed or thinks that we can continue to be the church uh, when we're broken. And so here's what I would offer to you. The first thing that I think that is evident in this uh, scripture is that we are a work in progress. Every single one of us are a work in progress. Only Jesus was flawless. Only Jesus is the one who was without sin. So what that means to me, and I think to our church at St. Mark's, is that we want to continually be looking for ways to improve how we communicate God's great love in such a way that people can receive it and and that they can respond to it. Some of us may be infants in the faith. Some of us may not understand Scripture as well as someone else, but none of us have it all figured out. Every single one of us can continue to hone and improve our faith and our interpretation and our application of God's holy word. Uh, The second thing that I would suggest to you that we might remember in order for us to be the kind of church that God wants us to be is that, uh, uh, to use the car analogy, we want to drive in carpools. 
We want to drive in carpools. If you've ever had a flat tire, it's always better if you've had a flat tire with somebody else in the car because they can get the, the uh, jack out and the spare tire, if you have one, out while you're taking the lug nuts off of the one that's flat. Uh, they can be looking for traffic uh, while you're changing the tire. Uh, th- they might also be able to flag somebody down or make a phone call. It's just nice to not be alone when you're stranded on the side of the road with a flat tire. It's always nice to have someone there to help you. And I would suggest to you that the same thing is true in the life of faith. You can be Christian And you can be committed to growing in your faith by studying the word by yourself. By individually increasing your faith. But that cannot replace. And it is not nearly as powerful and effective and meaningful as when we come together. And we are come together in a carpool and we learn from each other and we learn with each other. Uh, You might be the one that would give spiritual encouragement to someone in a time of need, but you're also going to have times when you will be receiving spiritual comfort and nourishment. Uh, And so it is so important for us to travel together. The third thing I think it's important for us to remember, church, is that we need to avoid spiritual elitism. Some of us would like to think that our application and our interpretation of Scripture is right and everybody else's is wrong. And, and we are so passionate about what we believe. And I want to suggest to you, this is one of my favorite sayings. You've probably heard me say it before. It is wonderful and appropriate to be passionate about what you believe. God loves passion. But in your passion, I would like for you to always remember it is perfectly fine to argue like you're right as long as you listen like you're wrong. We haven't gotten it all figured out, church. We're all trying our best to understand God's Word and and its application and, and its interpretation for our lives and for our church and for our world. But... While we think we may be right, we should always listen as if we are wrong. We will learn something from one another if we can avoid spiritual elitism. And I think that's the sign of a healthy church. Paul says, at the, uh, in a, just beyond what we read today, that the most important thing for us as a church to seek is the mind of Christ. And so we're always looking to Jesus, uh, the author, the perfecter of our faith. And we're seeking to be like Jesus. We're in the midst of a time in our church, uh, our denomination. I would suggest to you that every church experiences conflict. And and what I want to suggest to you is that um, we must seek to be unified in the spirit. Paul believes it's possible, and I do too. And it's possible when we realize that we're all works in progress. We haven't figured it out yet. We can all learn from one another. And we're not always right. But if we seek the mind of Christ, I believe Jesus will get our flats fixed and get us back on the road 
to being the church that God desires.